I'm Jonathan Hirsch, and this is Arrivals. Stories of migration, transformation, and change. The program that explores what we do when what we've done is a thing of the past. Today on the show is the story of the transformative power of loss. How one tiny life can become so large that you begin to see it everywhere and in everything that you do. Our first contributor piece comes to us from independent producer and storyteller, Sarah Curtis, who traces the loss of her and her husband Ryan's child over the course of a year. Here's Sarah. So sorry for your loss. I'm I'm so sorry for your loss. I'm so sorry for your loss. I'm I didn't just lose a child. I had a child. She was a specific shape with specific DNA and organs with a name and weight and length with specific eye color and hair color. I grew her and I lost her, and now I look for her everywhere. In the weeks after my daughter died, I became insanely aware of punctuation. Text became the way I reached out to people in my life the way my tragedy took shape for everyone else. I barely used exclamation points. If other people use them, like, hope you're well, exclamation point, excited to see you soon, exclamation point, it either felt like overcompensation or a strong attempt at normalcy. But if there were too many exclamation points, I found it troubling and wondered if the person even knew what had happened. I'd scroll back into my text to make sure I told them. I texted short statements with periods. I needed to write contained affirmative sentences to ground me, rein it in, and keep it together. I'm okay, period. I went on a hike and it was helpful, period. Thank God for Ryan, period. Most people used multiple strings of dot dot dots. Wondering how you are, dot dot dot. Thinking of you, dot dot dot. What a beautiful name, dot dot dot. I'm here if you need me, dot dot dot. So many cautious, heartbroken texts crawled their way into my phone. Often, people skipped around our darkness, as if they didn't want to remind us of what we were going through, even though for us it was front and center all the time. Maybe the dot dot dots were placeholders for what was too scary for them to articulate, to wonder about, 
to imagine in their own lives, or or maybe it was an acknowledgement that no words in place of those dots held enough power to fix anything or make sense out of everything. Maybe these people who loved Ryan and me and who in turn loved our daughter were giving us permission to fill in those dots with whatever we needed. It's been about 11 months since we lost our daughter and I'm ready to fill in some of those dots. We find our loss located all over the place. I mean, multiple times a day, I see something out in the world and it just breaks my heart. In between, I'm obsessively savoring the normal moments, documenting my daily rituals like, look, look, I'm doing this normal thing and I actually feel pretty good right now. Let's not forget about this. Let me record this. Life happens to move right along and then boom, there you are. Like, I'm walking to the gym and I wind up behind a narrow-hipped, makeup-slathered young mother with a stroller full of blankets and the teeniest sleeping baby inside. It's 10 p.m. and this new mom, not me, but the one with the baby, looks pissed, you know, she's just pushing that stroller like she's trying to push it away, pushing it over all the bumps and dips in the sidewalk that she could have easily avoided. I'm becoming a backseat stroller pusher, wishing she'd just go around this or move slowly through that. Then we're both stuck at the crosswalk. She can feel me watching her and she picks at her nails and stares at the light. And when the light's green, we both cross. Me in my gym clothes with my gym bag, walking towards the place I go to clear my mind and work off some of my baby weight. Her, a stick with a diaper bag and a sleeping baby, weaving through the neighborhood, just looking for something to distract her from what she has. I'm fantasizing about switching roles, taking that crappy stroller and that smothered in blankets baby, holding it in my arms, humming it a little tune and gently guiding us through the neighborhood. I wish, at least, she would unfold some of those blankets around the baby's face to give it more air and give me more space to dream. I get to the gym and I get on that treadmill and I start running. It's late at night, and we're at an astronomical observatory on the top of a mountain, getting ready to look at a billion-year-old exploded star, a dead star still hovering in the atmosphere, shining bright like a thick cosmic smoke ring. 
We get in line for the telescope viewing with a bunch of excited astronomy nerds, and despite the fact that the event explicitly said no children allowed, the one couple who brought their baby gets in line right behind us. Out of all the lines, all the clusters of humans scattered around the place, we're in line to witness the miracles of the universe with the one little wide-awake baby reminding us of our reality here on Earth. And then I make ginger tea. It finally rains, a night walk. We see little abandoned baby booties and socks all over the city, on the sidewalk, on the very edge of a windowsill, in the sewer grate. The other day I momentarily lost my balance because I stepped on a pacifier right in front of my front door. We think about all the distracted parents, overtired and underslept, getting home and cursing that yet another little baby sock is missing, another fancy baby booty down the drain. We imagine that we wouldn't let them get away, that we would always keep an extra eye on that bright orange sock slipping off the tips of our baby's toes. We make dinner and listen to a podcast. I've always been wanderlust, you know, and exploratory and curious, so everything. It's midnight and we go out dancing. I stand on a crowded BART train while a guy plays Johnny Cash covers. I hold a lock of my daughter's hair in a mini Ziploc bag in my breast pocket on the left side by my heart. That's one reason why I wear this shirt all the time, that and it fits my confusing postpartum body. I find myself pressing against the pocket when I'm feeling overwhelmed by the sight of another baby, reminding myself that I haven't lost track of mine. Sometimes my husband takes her Sometimes I do, always in the heart pocket. We never leave the shirt on the floor. We always hang it up, know where it is, and treat it with care. We're at a sold out concert, wrapped in each other's arms, just swaying to the beat. Thank you.
running through the desert, and Ryan's looking at a yellow bird with his new binoculars. Then there's waiting at the bus stop by the preschool. Three-year-olds pressing their faces on the dirty window panes. They're waiting for their parents and they're playing an impromptu game of hide-and-go-seek with me. If there is a birthday, there are poorly stapled paper crowns. Their faces disappear below the window with just the crown's edges floating in view like little waves or flames in a puppet show. And their faces clumsily reappear with a smile, a finger in their nose, a spitty laugh. It carries me through the rest of the day. Because while they're passing time with a stranger, I'm playing games with the ghost of my daughter. I'm in a packed bar, and the Warriors are about to win the championship. I like taking a shower at night, because When I use my finger to outline my daughter's name on the steamy glass door like I do backwards and forwards every day, it reflects onto the shower walls too. So for the rest of the shower, her name is up in lights. L-I-L-I-A space. W-I-L-D. L-I-L-I-A space. L-I-L-I-A space. W-I-L-D. You see, if I don't talk about or write about her often enough, I feel unmoored and disingenuous, like I'm harboring my favorite thing that I never wanted to be a secret. A low-grade frequency just hums in the back of my throat, ready to shape all the words I can about her. Lilia Wilde is her name. Seven pounds, 11.5 ounces, 20 and a quarter inches long, blue eyes, red hair, chin dimple. On the other side of all those dots, Here I am. Yes, my daughter died, but she was also born. Lilia Wilde. Period.
A very special thanks to Sarah for contributing her story. She produced the episode along with editorial help from Emily Ullman and musical support from her husband, Ryan Frizzell. You can find out more about Sarah and our show by visiting our website, awrvls.com. If you like what you've heard today, please consider leaving us a review on iTunes. Just click on the link at the top of our website or in the show notes to this episode. It really does make a difference. This episode was written, produced, and recorded in between the clanking of hundred-year-old pipes in a closet far, far away in the lovely East Williamsburg neighborhood of Brooklyn, New York by me, Jonathan Hirsch, along with Ben Cruz and Nora Lind. Our show is a proud and founding member of The Herd, a podcast collective of six independent, story-driven programs from across North America. And one of the shows on The Herd that you must listen to is First Day Back. Hi, I'm Tally, and this is First Day Back, my podcast about getting back to work after the longest maternity leave ever. I'm a documentary filmmaker in Montreal and the mom of two boys. Do you, like, do I, when I work at home, is that work? When I'm, like, cleaning and cooking and stuff like that? Yeah, that's work, but it's not your job's work. I ran into my old producer the other day, and she said, Oh, but we wrote you off a long time ago. I don't think she was trying to crush my spirit. I actually think she was trying to let me off the hook. I thought your answer was going to be that mummies should stay with their kids all the time. Why? Well, just because I thought that's what you would prefer, to stay with me all the time. Well, I'm okay without you. Ouch. You can learn more about Tally's show and all the H.E.R.D. programs by visiting our website, h-e-a-r-d-radio.com. That's herdradio.com. Thank you for listening. And until we meet again... May you wind up where you need to be.